Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today is such an important episode because this is probably my biggest passion is talking about the need for more mental health professionals to be educated on OCD. I have just seen so many therapists treat OCD without understanding OCD. I've seen so many parents spend so much money in treatment and eventually realize that their child is being treated for anxiety and not OCD. And it really just breaks my heart that we are so in the dark ages still with mental health. It's just bizarre to me that we can have OCD, which is very prevalent, really. You know, it is as frequent as diabetes in children. And yet we are so in the dark ages about what OCD is, what treatment looks like, and how to spot it versus, you know, other mental health disorders. So today, I have Cameron on, who is my guest. Cameron is actually from the website sensorymom.com, but she's not on here to talk about sensory stuff. She has been on my podcast before to talk about that. And that's actually, we kind of know each other from the parenting world online, but our story took a bit of a turn when Cameron reached out to me for her own help. And I thought it would be good to have her on the podcast to talk about her story, but on a, on a bigger scale to talk about the inadequacies in the mental health field for childhood OCD. So definitely check out her website as just a side note. Her website is sensorymom.com and she is phenomenal, but that's not what this episode is about, but she has great resources if you are dealing with sensory. So before I get started and we jump into my interview with Cameron, I want to talk to you about you. How are you doing? And this kind of is very related to what I was talking about with Cameron, because in her effort to get help for her son, she was having a problem and she reached out to me as a friend and a colleague and she took my OCD class. And I said, oh, you know, I really feel like your son is struggling with OCD. And then as she was taking my course, she realized that she has had undiagnosed OCD her entire life. And there was just this epiphany that happened. And she has her own degree in psychology, just like I do. And she is not alone in not getting that proper training that we all really should get in how to spot OCD. And she saw some really high caliber therapists who really helped her, but missed the OCD. So we're going to get on in all, into all of that. But first, I do want to invite you to something that's happening. It is already happening because today is Tuesday. And so it started at the end of last week, but it is not too late for you to catch up. I am doing a free self-care series talking about how to shift our mindset when we're raising kids with anxiety and OCD, how to take care of ourselves, which is very related to what we talk about today, and how to surround yourself with support, good support, not bad support. So if you are not signed up for my series, it is not too late. You can text the word AT self-care to the number 44222 and we can sign you up or I will leave links in the show notes. Join us. I have a free pop-up group where we are spending the next week and a half talking about self-care and not like about bonbons, ice cream, and Netflix, although those are delicious and entertaining, but talking about how we view our child's issues. What triggers does it bring up for us? 
What about our own mental health? What about our physical well-being? What about our support system? Things that aren't about taking time out for yourself, although that's important, but the way that we kind of create our world. And that's not about time. A lot of people, when I ask them to answer a question before they came into this pop-up group, this Facebook pop-up group that I created just for the series, a lot of the answers were, I don't have enough time. I struggle with time. And that tells me that we're viewing self-care in a very surfaced way and we have to dive deeper. So please come over there and join me. I have a Facebook group that is just open for the series and it will be just there for about a week and a half. I'm doing Facebook lives in there. We're actually going to make it fun. I'm giving away some $50 Amazon gift cards as we go. So join us, click the link in the show notes, or just text me, text the word AT self-care to the number 44222, and I will see you over there. Okay. Well, without further ado, here is my interview with Cameron. I hope you find it helpful. Well, I want to welcome Cameron to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Natasha. I'm really excited to talk with you again. Yeah, we're going to talk about a really important topic, and I think this is like probably one of the most important podcast episodes I've done because this is like my my soapbox cause is the lack of knowledge around OCD, and you're a perfect person to come on because not only are you a therapist who's had training, but you're also a mom, so we're going to get into your story, but before we jump in, can you tell people a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. So I have a website called Sensory Mom, and I do parent coaching primarily for families of kids who have sensory processing challenges. And then my blog, the purpose of the blog is to give parents and families support and education and resources about parenting, but also about sensory processing. And my background is in education and psychology. So I started out many years ago as an elementary school teacher. I left the teaching profession and went in a totally different direction and ended up working in sales for many years. And then I went back to graduate school for psychology and got a master's degree in psychology and began my internship as MFT. And I was working primarily with kids and adolescents with um, children and teenagers. I was about two thirds of the way through my son was born, my older son. And that's a whole separate story, which I won't get into, but he had some developmental delays and some challenges that were significant enough that I needed to put all of my energy into taking care of him. So I stopped my internship at that point. My my life took a a detour. (laughs) Through that unexpected detour is how I arrived at Sensory Mom and at what I'm doing now. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. And your resources are great. People should check out your website. And I feel like you, you've been on my podcast before. I can't remember even what we talked about. Was it sensory or was it? It was sensory and anxiety. Maybe I think we were talking about the link between sensory and anxiety. I know I forgot too. It's been a while. (laughs) I know she's been on the podcast before and and I want to bring that up because that's how we connected. You know, we both are, you know, similar. We're providing resources for parents for different issues. And then you reached out to me with your own struggles Um, And I want to dive a little bit into that as far as what made you reach out. Yeah. Yeah. So about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, my younger son had what I didn't know at the time, but he had an episode for lack of a better word of contamination OCD. And I didn't know that that's what it was at first. 
Prior to that, OCD had never, I'd never given it any thought really towards myself or as a, a potential issue that my son was struggling with. Like it never crossed my mind. And we had this incident where he was with his preschool at an outdoor class and they were playing at the beach and they were playing in this area where there's runoff. It's like the, and they're not really supposed to be playing there. And the teachers didn't know. And he cut his toe while he was playing in there. So when I picked him up and they told me about this, I said to them, oh, that water is really contaminated. You're not supposed to be playing in that. We got home. I didn't think it was a big deal. I put Neosporin on it. Well, the next day his toe was infected. And so I had to take him to the doctor. And so then he heard me explain again to the doctor and everything was fine. We put some antibiotic cream on it and he was totally fine. So it wasn't a big deal. But in the days following he started to have some peculiar behavior that I'd never noticed before. So he started washing his hands like very frequently. He started asking me about germs. Like, mommy, I just touched the table. Does that have germs on it? Mommy, does this have germs? And at first I thought, oh, he's having an anxiety reaction. That must have made him really anxious so I had to talk with him about it. And I said, oh, honey, you know, I think you're, that made you a little anxious. Let's talk about it. And, you know, I explained like everything was okay. Sometimes things like that happen. It's not a big deal. Did not cross my mind at all still at this point that this was OCD. Well, a couple of weeks passed and the behaviors just escalated. And that's when I emailed you. He started holding his hands closed in fists and walking around with his hands closed. And that was when I was like, okay, this is not anxiety. Now, even though I had worked with kids for many years and I have a background in psychology, I did not know anything about OCD. It's almost embarrassing to say, but I really did not know much more than kind of the general like colloquial knowledge of OCD. That was my framework. But because his first episode manifested in a way that is really common and kind of the way it's portrayed in movies and, you know, in TV, it became overtly clear, you know, when as it escalated, like, okay, this is not just anxiety. So I reached out to you and you were so helpful and so responsive. And you gave me your course, which was, I mean, this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but it's not. It was life-changing for me and Cruz and our family. So I started taking your course. And as I was going through the different modules, all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm, re, you know, watching the videos and I'm learning and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have OCD. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. And all of these like puzzle pieces just finally came together and made so much sense for me. So the background to that is that as a kid, I was always very fearful. And the way I had conceptualized it up until taking your course was that I was a very anxious child and I was a very sensitive child. And my anxiety, I'm putting that in air quotes, manifested in a lot of very peculiar ways. But it was never flagged, you know, later on um, in college, uh, friends of mine were killed in a car accident and it was extremely traumatic. And on the heels of that, I became anorexic for years after that. I did go to therapy, but the focus of the treatment was on an eating disorder. And what's fascinating to me 
and what has been so fascinating over, you know, this past year was realizing that, you know, I have a background in psychology. I've seen therapists who are highly trained, amazing therapists who are experts in their field. I struggled with an eating disorder for years and years. I finally went into recovery and was great. And so the therapy certainly helped. The therapy that I did, which was primarily psychodynamic and CBT, was very helpful. But I was still struggling with so much what I thought was just anxiety, like intense anxiety. So even when I was recovered from the eating disorder, I still had this, you know, quite debilitating in a sense, anxiety. And it kind of reached a new level. I had a struggle with fertility. So I I struggled with infertility and I had a miscarriage and the miscarriage catapulted my quote anxiety, like to a different level that was so extreme and I couldn't make sense of it and no one else could either. And I remember even my husband was like, Cammie, you know, lots of women have first trimester miscarriages. I know it's awful, but like, it's going to be okay. And I knew like cognitively, I'm like, the way this feels to me is totally out of proportion to what it is, but I can't make sense of it. You know, I, I really struggled with that. And so I didn't have an eating disorder anymore, but you know, I still had what now I've realized was OCD and it had been untreated, you know, since my childhood, even though I had been in treatment for years. And so I thought of this analogy about therapy (laughs) when therapy for OCD, the analogy is that if someone had a stomach ache or they had some abdominal pain and they thought, oh, you know, I must've pulled a muscle and they said, okay, well, I'm going to go get some massage or some physical therapy to deal with that. So they are going for several weeks and it's helping. Like if you're going to get a massage every week, like you're gonna be like, oh yeah, I feel better. But you're like, but it's, I still have this underlying abdominal pain. Like, I don't know why it's not going away, but I mean, I, I feel better. That is my analogy for what traditional therapy is like if you have OCD. So for years I did psychodynamic therapy. I mean, I cannot possibly like understand myself <laughs> better than I do. I'm like, I get me. Yes. I was like, I, we have covered all the bases and then some. So that's extremely helpful. I did mindfulness training, which was extremely helpful. And it, it truly did help. And I improved significantly, but I was still suffering a lot from this debilitating anxiety. And I could never figure out what was wrong with me. I just was like, I don't understand this. I've done so much work. How can I still be struggling this much? And I actually ended up relapsing with my eating disorder. And that was really rough as anyone who's had an addiction knows when you relapse, it's, you know, I'd been in recovery for eight years and then I relapsed and it was just horrible. And it was like, once I realized that OCD was really at the root of all of this, I felt so relieved, like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Like I've just been being treated for the wrong thing with the wrong kind of treatment. And that's not to cancel out the therapy that I did. Cause as I said, it was extremely, extremely helpful, but it truly did nothing 
to help with the symptoms of OCD. You're bringing up some really good points where if a therapist is not educated on OCD, and we'll talk about training, we can talk about both of our trainings, because that's nothing to be embarrassed about. The average person going to graduate school, and we'll talk about this in a minute, does not get training. They don't get a deep dive in OCD, and we'll talk about what that looks like. But you're a good poster child also of what it looks like when you don't get that right diagnosis, because OCD is one of those mental health issues that is very specific. And I like your analogy of something's wrong with you, maybe muscularly, and you're, you're getting a massage, but you know, what if you have a degenerative disease or you have, you know, some underlying thing that's not helping. I just realized I completely forgot the main part of the analogy, which was um, that the abdominal, if the abdominal pain is coming, let's say you have like a parasite, but you're being treated as if you have like a muscular issue, like you can get all the massage physical therapy you want, you know, and your body's going to start to feel better in other areas, but the stomach pain will not go away. So that, that was the, 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 (laughs) that was the, Yeah. The, thank you for bringing that back up. That was the complete analogy. So yeah. So when you have OCD and you haven't been properly diagnosed and you're seeing a therapist who treats depression or anxiety, or for in my case, I saw a therapist who their primary area of focus was eating disorders, which that's a whole other topic because <laughs> I, I haven't even researched this, but I'm like, wow, how did therapists who are treating anorexia not know to rule out OCD because they are highly comorbid. But most don't. Yeah, but most don't. And you can have an OCD themed, what looks like eating disorder. I have quite a few kids I've worked with who have had what could easily be considered an eating disorder. But then when you talk to them about what is driving the behavior, it's an intrusive thought, not an image issue. Yes, yes. It's so true. And that was certainly the case for me. In fact, I had a conversation, this was several years ago with a friend who's a psychologist. So she's a PhD psychologist. And she had a client who came in and and had an eating disorder. That wasn't her specialty. And she was asking me about it. And she made a comment and said, well, I think the main issue is just the cultural influence, you know, our media and social media. And I'm, you know, I think that's the main cause. And I thought, okay. (laughs) And I remember kind of like sitting there and I was like, well, if that was true, if like that was the root cause of someone's eating disorder, I think we would be seeing a lot more young women and and men with eating disorders. So you, you have to, um, you know, it's not specifically for an eating disorder. It's not that someone is just vain and wants to be thin. Like that's, that is such a misconception of, so it's not, and And even with anorexia and the OCD part is what you distinguish between is a little different. The intrusive thought is different than strictly having an eating disorder without OCD. And I think that's what you were kind of pointing to, but a therapist needs to be able to tease that apart. And unfortunately, in in my experience, that's not common and possibly just from a lack of training or a lack of education, a lack of awareness about what OCD actually is, which I am the poster child for that because I had zero awareness and I was the one suffering. Right. So, yeah. And, and had gone through graduate school. So it wasn't even, and, you yeah. know, you were just an average person just struggling and, and misdiagnosed. It was like you had your own 
you know, up close personal training yeah. and your training was very similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And, and I think people get stuck on like what degree to look at, or, you know, I have OCD, what degree should I, you know, should I look at a psychologist or an LCSW or an MFT? And I'm always like, look at their training because yeah. in most graduate programs, now there are some popping up, but not enough. The average graduate program does not cover OCD. And when I tell parents that they're shocked, they're like, what are you talking about? Because one out of every 200 kids have OCD mm-hmm. and yet it's the stepchild of mental health. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Natasha. It's so, it's mind boggling. And Easy. yeah, I mean, from your standpoint of specializing in this, I can really feel how frustrating that lack of understanding. And, and just even when people make the flippant comments like, oh, I'm totally OCD or, oh, you know, how frustrating that is and how minimizing it is. People think OCD is just like a funny little quirk. And let me tell you, I describe it as living in a mental prison. That's how I felt my whole life since I was a little girl that I lived inside a mental prison and no matter what I did, I could not get out of it. And it's a really overwhelming, intense thing to deal with. The thing that I'm inspired by now understanding this is that there is a treatment for it that gives you the tools to where you don't have to live in a mental prison. But if the professionals out there who you're going to aren't aware of what OCD truly is or what the proper treatment is, then I wonder how many people out there have my story? How many people just think, oh my God, I just have such intense anxiety. I, I, I'm just a super anxious person. Meanwhile, they're stuck every single day in these OCD loops that they can't get out of. And they're wondering if they're crazy, you know, like... <laughs> And they're not normalized because they're reading about anxiety and they don't fit in that box. So they're thinking there's something wrong with me. Totally. The therapeutic approach isn't hundred percent helping. So they're Mm -hmm. thinking there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And that's, that's a good story. A bad story is I have intrusive thoughts about harm. I don't want to hurt myself. I'm not suicidal, but I have an intrusive thought that says I am, or I have an intrusive thought that says I want to push you, you know, in front of a car and I'm really disturbed by that. So I have some sort of harm OCD. Some of these other taboo OCDs like pedophilia OCD, where, you know, I worry I might be interested in kids or maybe I have sexual orientation OCD where I know that I like the opposite sex, but I worry that I don't, or maybe I am actually gay and I worry that I'm straight. So when you approach all the, and I'm just bringing up the most taboo um, OCD themes, because I feel like when people go to a regular mental health professional and they they present with these intrusive thoughts, these really yeah. taboo ones or yeah. misunderstood ones, the scarier version is yes. we need to hospitalize you yeah. or your self-harm or harm to others, yeah. or I'm going to talk to you about, you know, your gender identity or something yeah. when that would be very appropriate maybe for someone else, but not necessarily for someone who has having intrusive thoughts or if I'm having relationship OCD and I wonder, do I find my husband really attractive or not? And I have to like go back and forth. Right. Well, someone might send me to marital counseling, which is actually going to confirm my yes. thought. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. It's such a slippery slope. And I think with the more taboo themes of OCD that you're describing, there's so much like confusion and shame for people around those when they don't know what it is 
and they're thinking, you know, am I a bad person? Am I, is some, you know, you, you are thinking like is something seriously wrong with me. Like, what are these thoughts? Like, do other people have these thoughts, you know, and right. you can feel so alone, especially for young kids. I mean, it's hard enough as an adult to <laughs> navigate that, but as a child, if you're having those thoughts and you're scared and you don't know who to talk to, or you're scared, but you finally say something to your mom or dad and they bring you to the therapist and the therapist is saying, oh, this child has suicidal ideation. And it's like, you know, that that's extremely problematic. There are Um, a lot of kids who wind up on, you know, in psychiatric units. And then unfortunately the sadder part of the story is those people aren't trained. So then even at the higher level of care where they don't specialize in OCD, they are treated with the wrong medications, the wrong therapeutic approaches. And some of these people live like that for the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. thinking that they right. really are suicidal or right. they really are confused with their thoughts. So, yeah, I mean, it just goes so deep. The damage can be so deep. Luckily, your son had a very, quote unquote, stereotypical version yes. of OCD. Yes, yes. So you were able to say pretty pretty quickly, I don't know what's going on, Natasha, like something, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's OCD. (laughs) It was like very overt there. It was not, you know, up for discussion. It was like, okay, yeah, that's like right out of the the textbook. And, you know, since that we've had different themes pop up, had that not been the first one, I don't think I would have realized that it was OCD. So his other theme, which was my main theme through childhood is being scared to be alone. He, he can't be alone in the dark and he can't be alone in a room. And the theme around it for him, which is a little different from mine, but is the intrusive thought is that a monster is going to come get him and he is terrified. So there's lots of compulsions that go along with that for him. So had that- what are some other compulsions? Well, he has to have someone with him at all times. If we're downstairs and let's say he's in our playroom, he can't be in there by himself, you know? So prior to knowing this was OCD, I would just always go in and be with him. At night, he has to have someone laying down with him in his bed the whole time until he falls asleep. And then he wakes up and comes in our bed and runs down the hall and gets in bed. And that is what I did for my whole entire childhood. My theme was not about monsters my theme was a little different, but it was the intrusive thought was mine was more that, I mean, this is terrible. I don't know if you want to keep this on the podcast, but it, I mean, it's, I was scared that a man was going to break in my window and kidnap me and murder me. So I had this fear as like a young child, like a six-year-old, which is not normal. I mean, it's, you know, kind of bizarre. And it was like, so intense. So I literally could not be by myself and it never went away. It wasn't like a little phase I went through. I was 16 years old and still waking up in the middle of the night and getting my mom and having her come sleep in my bed with me. My mom actually has a story, which is so sad. I mean, it's mildly entertaining, but it's, it's really sad. She had gone to work one day. She was exhausted and one of her colleagues noticed and he said, oh, Melody, are you okay? And she goes, oh no, I, I was up all night last night. I just, I was up with my daughter last night. I just didn't get any sleep. And he goes, oh, how old's your baby? And she goes, oh, she's 17. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, <sad> funny, but... <laughs> it's like, I know it's like so sad, you know? So 
I never realized that that was OCD. I just thought I was a super sensitive, anxious child. If Cruz had not had not had the contamination OCD and he had just presented with this fear of the dark, I would have just thought, oh, he's just similar to me. He's just scared of the dark. Like I was like that too. I would have never connected the dots with OCD. Well, I think that's a, let me, let's just talk about that one for, for an example, because that one's not really clear cut. So I think that's a good one to explore because you can have generalized anxiety disorder and be afraid of the dark or afraid of monsters, especially at his age, he's six. Totally. I think the difference is, and I don't know if Cruz has this or not, but the difference is one, when you have OCD, those images are very, very graphic and visual And you can have that with anxiety too. I mean, I have an anxiety disorder and my intrusive thoughts that aren't really OCD are very graphic and very like, you know, Mm -hmm. real. But then I think because anxiety and OCD are cousins, they like to hang out together. It is the morphing of what kind of compulsions you have to do. So, and I'll, I'll use some examples. My son also, who's 11, who has anxiety and OCD. So he has the anxious thought of a bad guy's going to break in. That's firmly anxiety. Like, you know, he's just anxious about his safety. If it was just anxiety, I could probably process it with him and just say, you know, all the doors are locked. What green thoughts do you need to tell yourself? But then when you have OCD as well, you add the compulsions. Mm -hmm. So for him, he had to like put his blanket all the way up to his neck so that his neck didn't get slit. You know, it was very specific that his neck was going to be cut and he had to avoid mirrors. And so he couldn't go into the bathroom. He couldn't look at doorknobs. Like the the mirror thing was very like, couldn't flush toilets because something was going to pop out of the toilet. So there were a lot of compulsions related to that. So I think, because sometimes parents will say, you know, I have that, or, you know, a lot of kids are anxious about that. And sometimes it's about the compulsions that go around with it. So if I also... I'm nervous about bad guys, but then I have to like, you know, open and close the, the locks three right. times all around the house. Right. Now my anxiety has turned into compulsions, which is OCD related. Yes. And I'm so glad that you made that distinction because it is confusing, you know, for even still for me with Cruz, some of the other compulsions that go around with that, that fear of night is he'll ask multiple times if we've locked the doors. And so he like needs to keep asking and make sure that we locked all the doors. I guess, you know, monsters can't get in if the doors are locked. I don't know. And so there's some repetitive things that he has to do in order to be okay. And for me, when I was young, I had very similar things to your son. I had to sleep a certain way. I had to count to a certain number. If I looked towards the window, then that meant that the bad guy would come. So I had to avoid looking at the window. I mean, there were lots of. See, those are really good examples of what gets missed in therapy because they're going to hear I'm scared of the dark or I'm scared of getting kidnapped or murdered, which are like classic anxiety signs. And they're the minute you say counting or the minute you say, I have to look at the, at the window. And then I think that I've like either jinxed myself or I protected myself, this magical thinking, those get missed. And then if you over-process and it's OCD, you know, like, you know, you're safe. What can you remind yourself? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. That actually for, for some themes can make it worse. Not as much with this theme, but for some yeah. themes, the processing is actually the thing that will make it worse. It makes it worse. Yeah. 
The other theme that came up for cruise um, since the first the initial contamination theme, which is still related to contamination, is he has this fear of getting poop on him when he goes poop. So the compulsions are he has to take off all of his clothes before he poops. Someone else has to wipe him. He cannot wipe himself. And so again, I, I don't think I would have, I would have just been like, oh, he doesn't like wiping himself. Now it's become clear. Like he has this whole little ritual before he goes poop. Like first he has to say, mommy, I'm going poop. Then he fully undresses like he's naked. And then he has to say, mommy, can you wipe me when I'm done? It's like a very like ritualized routine. And so prior to understanding that this was an OCD theme, I was just doing, I'm like, okay, honey, sure. Yeah, no problem. Like I was just accommodating him left and right because I just thought, oh, it's just a little phase. Like he'll, it's not like he's going to be 20 years old and not wiping himself, you know? I mean, so I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But now that we've been able to target his OCD, we have been doing exposures around that. And it's just been amazing to see how helpful the exposure response prevention therapy is. And again, I would have never known that. So I would have just gone on accommodating. In turn, I know this is the way you've described it to me in in your course, like feeding the OCD and just growing the OCD which, you know, makes it worse. And I, when I look back on all the compulsions that I did, like through my whole childhood and all the accommodating that my parents did, because they didn't know. And then, you know, through my adulthood, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've lived like 44 years of my life with like accommodating my OCD. That OCD is like strong, you know, I mean, and so having the awareness and knowledge now in terms of of myself and for, for Cruz of how to not accommodate it is so empowering. And it has just completely changed things for me and for Cruz. So it's, it's just like, when I said it, your course was life-changing. I I mean that sincerely. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's the hope just because I know as a therapist and mom to kids with anxiety and OCD, like the OCD piece is the part that really gets missed and gets poorly treated. And so you brought up a really good thing. So poop is a very common one, like contamination, OCD. And I have worked with people who have gone to prior therapists and they approach it in a very pragmatic sort of way. And this is just one example. It could be any issue, but they'll say they, they yeah. problem solve because that's what therapists do right. and so they say, can you wear gloves or can he wear gloves? I mean, I've heard right. that a lot and we're like, I'm right. like, Oh my gosh, no. Yeah or get wet wipes. And like, they're looking at it from a rational perspective, but OCD is not rational. So when you start to approach it therapeutically as a therapist in a rational way, or you're telling the parent to approach it in a rational way, or you're even saying sensory, okay, well, maybe he just doesn't like the feeling of poop on his hands. So you go to an OT, get an occupational therapist, because that happens a lot. The child never gets better because really, like you're saying, the gold standard treatment for OCD is exposure with response prevention which takes special training and it's not rocket science. I mean, I really, not to put down ERP, but it is not rocket science, it's counterintuitive. If parents and therapists only knew how to approach OCD, it's not complicated, it's just counterintuitive. Yes, yes, I could not agree more. I mean, that's a great thing about ERP is that it's not hard to do. 
it's easy to understand. And and Cruz and I are, are doing it simultaneously. It's interesting because our OCD themes play off of each other. So my theme for the past several years, which again, I had no idea this was an OCD theme until recently, mine centers around illness. And it started for me when I had my first miscarriage. I became like, the obtrusive thought was like, something is seriously wrong with me and none of the doctors can figure out what it is. They keep telling me I'm okay, but I'm not. And something really bad is going to happen to me. And that really bad thing is basically I'm going to die and I'm trying to figure this out and no one's helping me. It's like just, you know, and no matter what, I think the interesting thing too with OCD and, and probably a thing that differentiates it from anxiety is that I think with generalized anxiety, sometimes when you can kind of like give it the facts and talk to it and stuff, it, it helps. But with OCD, like you can give me every single fact I can go get blood tests. They can all be normal. And I'm like, okay, okay. Does nothing. I'm still sitting, you know, I'm still sitting with this horrible, (laughs) like impending doom that I'm about to die. And I never understood prior to, to now understanding OCD, why I was like that, you know, why I I couldn't figure it out. And Cruz has his theme is one of them is around germs. So it's really tricky when recently he got sick. And of course, right now with COVID, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is just, (laughs) this is just so intense. He got sick and he threw up immediately. My OCD just was like sprung into action and And he ended up being fine and he didn't have COVID and he was totally fine. But I had to say to him after a while, I'm like, Cruz, mommy's Mrs. Bossy is talking so loud right now. And she keeps telling me that I have to check to see if you're okay every couple minutes. Cause that was a compulsion that I would every two minutes go, how's your stomach now? Do you feel okay, honey? Let me take your temperature like compulsively. Mm -hmm. And prior to understanding this and prior to COVID even, I, that's how I behaved when my children were sick, but I didn't know that it was OCD. So prior to, to understanding that, that my fears around illness were OCD related, I didn't do anything to interrupt my compulsions. I didn't think they were compulsions. I just thought, oh, I'm super anxious. So of course I'm taking this temperature every three minutes. Now that I have awareness around it, I can intervene with myself and stop and say like to Cruz, oh, that's mommy's Mrs. Bossy. And you know what? she's so annoying. You know, we're going to, I'm just telling her to be quiet. So I told him when that was happening, I said, if mommy asks you again, if you're okay, you just need to be like, Miss Bossy, stop trying to talk for mommy. You know, we had like, and he totally gets it. He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, mom, you know? And so now we have this whole language around it that our whole family can use that my husband can use my older son. And, you know, sometimes that backfires because he can, you know, (laughs) you know, with siblings, like he can be like, Oh, that must be Mr. Bossy, you know, but, but for the most part, he's, he's really supportive and he gets it. And he'll say sometimes to Cruz, like Cruzy, I think that's just Mr. Bossy talking. Like, it's okay. Just tell Mr. Bossy to be quiet and having this framework and just having this awareness has just changed everything for us. And Cruz is doing so much better. I feel like a different person. And I mean, I would have said, if you talked to me a year ago, I would have been like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. You know, like, 
because it was just my baseline normal to walk around every day with like these loops of fears going on in my mind. And I just thought, well, I guess that's just me, you know? So I, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was functioning fine, but internally I was just exhausted, like emotionally and mentally exhausted. Now it's just been such a huge blessing to gain this awareness and gain this understanding and find the right treatment and find really good therapists who know OCD backwards and forwards and know what they're doing and know how to treat it. And again, I I just, I think to myself, like how many kids out there are struggling with this? Like I did when I was little and how many parents are just thinking, oh, my child just has an overactive imagination, which is what I was told over and over again, like, oh, honey, you just, you have a wild imagination, you know, which, you know, probably was true, but that, that wasn't why that wasn't the I was here. Yeah. And I mean, I had lots of other themes throughout my childhood now in hindsight that I can pinpoint, but you know, how, how many people are out there? And then, and then, like you said, they're going to therapy, but the therapist doesn't have a framework for OCD. So then it continues. It's like the ball just keeps getting kicked down the road. And I know from my personal experience, like how awful it is to struggle with this for so long. My heart goes out to everyone who is currently struggling with OCD, who has OCD and doesn't know it and hasn't been properly diagnosed. It's a horrible way to live. I know it, it fluctuates in severity depending on the person, and, but it can be incredibly debilitating. And the fact that there's this kind of understanding of it as it's like this funny, quirky little thing that makes people like super organized and clean is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate you sharing your story because I think that's really helpful. And, you know, I want to talk about what therapists and parents can do so that their kids don't struggle. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many emails I get from parents or how many comments I see in my course that say, oh my gosh, I have OCD too. Or, you know, in my AT parenting community, I get a lot of people who are like, I realize that I have OCD because these are people who have fallen through the cracks. The International OCD Foundation says that it takes over 17 years to get properly diagnosed, if ever, right? Oh my gosh. that's, That's crazy because really you need specific treatment. So- if you're a therapist, most of us haven't had the training in graduate school. And so I know as an early clinician, I realized I was out of my depth. OCD is rampant in my family, but I was like, I know that there's got to be a different way to treat this, but yeah. I don't know how. And so I think as a therapist who's practicing, we have to make a decision. If we're going to treat people who have OCD, or if we're going to write that down on our psychology today profile, then we're going to need to do some research and study. And there are plenty of good books out there on OCD. You know, therapists should get their own treatment. I mean, not their own treatment. They should get their own training and going to the International OCD Foundation. And I will link it in the show notes. You know, definitely look at their training programs. Their BTTI is really the best, but I didn't even go to the BTTI for a long time because I had young kids. It wasn't, you know, it just yeah. wasn't practical. So even reading books, my favorite one, which has just been updated is Treating OCD in Children and Adolescents by Martin Franklin and John March, okay. Jennifer Freeman. Yeah. This is a really good like Bible to treating OCD. 
So if you're going to treat OCD, just get training, read a book. I mean, really as a clinician, we can follow these things very simplistically. This, this book in and of itself, I think is a good enough start and then get on the list, get on the list for the BTTI. There are, are, there are some other universities that are doing training as well, but I think the International OCD Foundation does really solid training. They also have consult groups where you can go after the BTTI, where you meet in small groups and you can do consulting. That's what I did. Like I didn't, I didn't get any, any of my education was not through graduate school. It was from raising my kids. Actually, this was all before I even had kids that were diagnosed. Right. right. The universe was like, let's just give her a couple too. Just make it fun. (laughs) So you don't have to treat people with OCD. So just take it off of your psychology today profile, you know, take it off your website. If you don't understand anything that we talked about today and you don't want to, then take it off your profile, do us all a favor and just be honest and be humble. I don't treat eating disorders. I don't treat ticks. I don't treat pretty much anything other than anxiety or OCD, even some things that are related to those issues, because I stay in my narrow lane of focus because I can keep up on the research in my narrow lane. And so as therapists and mental health professionals, I think we owe it to the families that we work with to really know our stuff. And you can't know everything. I don't know anything about substance abuse. I don't know anything about the geriatric population. And I don't write it down on my website. And I don't say that I do. Totally. And, you know, I want to add that, well, two things. One, even if therapists are not going to treat OCD, I think now what I'm realizing is how important it is to have a foundational understanding of it in case you have a client that comes to you who's presenting with anxiety, but it's actually OCD. If you don't understand the difference between anxiety and OCD and know what to look for and what to listen for, then you're not going to be able to flag that in your client and be able to refer them to an OCD OCD specialist. That's actually a really good point. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really incumbent on therapists and and I'm including myself. I'm not a practicing therapist right now. I'm working as a parent coach, but it's really important to have this baseline education on the major mental health disorders of which OCD is one of them. And I agree. Same thing for eating disorders. I mean, that's such a specific mental health issue that requires very specific therapy that can't just be a generalized therapist, like someone who's suffering from anorexia needs to go to someone who knows a lot about that. And the other thing I wanted to add is that I think the same is true for psychiatrists as well. So I think if anyone is considering going on medication, anyone who has OCD and is considering going on medication for OCD, that it's really important to seek out a psychiatrist who specializes in that, not someone who just says, oh, sure, yeah, I treat OCD. Someone who actually knows what OCD is, knows what ERP is, has a good understanding of the difference between OCD and anxiety. I found through my personal experience that it was quite hard to find a psychiatrist who really knew the ins and outs of OCD. And the important thing for that, and I will disclose that I um, I started medication several months ago. I take Prozac. I found a wonderful psychiatrist. It took me a while to find someone who who really 
truly did work with many OCD patients and had a solid understanding of it. And the thing is, I called several psychologists and all of them said, sure, they, of course they treat OCD. But when I would ask more questions, it became very clear that no, they had no idea really <laughs> how to, to treat OCD. They didn't know what ERP was. What and I have adult, learned about, you know, you're an adult, you're looking for an adult psychiatrist and you live in a major metropolitan area. So like, yeah. think about that, you yes. know? Yes, totally. I mean, to find a child psychiatrist. Yeah. Well, and the thing that is important, what I have learned about medication as it relates to OCD is that often it, let's say Prozac, because that's what I'm taking. Prozac at lower doses is really helpful for anxiety and depression, but often for it to help OCD, it has to be at a significantly higher dose. And if the psychiatrist is not aware of that, which many of them aren't, you might, you know, try 20 milligrams of Prozac and you're like, this is doing nothing. And then you stop it because it's not working. But if you get someone who knows, then they can slowly scaffold you up to the correct dosage. And I found that my therapist who specializes in OCD she was the one that said, you have to make sure the psychiatrist knows how to treat OCD. And I'm so glad she told me that because I wouldn't have gone the extra mile to find someone. And I did. And again, this is kind of a side note, but for anyone listening who struggles with OCD or, and has never taken medication, I will say that I was like vehemently against trying medication. One of your podcasts, Natasha, totally changed my mind. You were interviewing two therapists who specialize in OCD. And one of them brought up that many of her clients were resistant to pharmaceuticals, but they were totally willing to take any herbal nutritional supplement on the market without doing any research. As I was listening, I started laughing out loud. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is me to a T. Like I'll take 16 different herbal supplements, but oh no, like I can't take any pharmaceuticals. So it really helped me check my faulty logic there. And I ended up finding the psychiatrist, starting the medication, and it has been the biggest game changer for me. I mean, I'm like, now I've gone to the other side. I'm all, everyone should take medication. Like I'm like a total advocate <laughs> proponent. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like not feeling well. We'll take some medication. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I cannot believe how helpful it has been. So if anyone <laughs> listening is like the former me who's very skeptical of Western medicine and pharmaceuticals and really is like, oh, I only put natural things into my body. I'm telling you, it's so okay to take medication. It's not going to harm your body. It's actually going to, if you are on the right one, it will change your life dramatically for the better. So and we're okay, you know, people have diabetes and we're okay, you know, treating yeah. that with medication because, you know, they can't metabolize, you know, and the pancreas isn't working, but when our, you know, neurotransmitters are not working or we need some help with that, it's still medical and it's, it's stigmatized. And you're also bringing up a really good point about the dosages. I think a lot of times people don't realize, and even psychiatrists don't realize that it's a, you have to have a much higher dose and yeah. finding a child psychiatrist is hard enough. And finding one that actually understands OCD, it's almost virtually an impossibility. Like they're so rare. And it kind of goes back to my last point that I wanted to make, which is 
parents have to educate themselves. Mm-hmm. You have to know what the difference is between anxiety and OCD. Don't depend on a professional because you can be the first gatekeeper. If you educate yourself, this is kind of where I get on my second soapbox, you know, is yeah. stop waiting for professionals. And I say that even though I'm a professional, you know, I say that as a mom, that yeah. you have to advocate for yourself. I've had to advocate yeah. for my kids with the pediatricians that we've gone to in the past who didn't recognize OCD. Right. So if, if you know what to look for and you know how to find the support, you may not find an OCD therapist. Uh, you can go to the International OCD Foundation's website and I'll leave mm-hmm. a link below. So you can, you know, iocdf.org slash find dash help. I've memorized because I've given that out literally every single day. <laughs> But you may not find someone on there. And if you don't, sometimes going to a general therapist can do more harm than good. So you have to educate yourself as a parent on what you're seeing. And then I've also, and I'll link this in the show notes, I've had parents print out the International OCD Foundation's pediatric OCD recommendations for medication so that they can bring that to the psychiatrist. So even if you can't find one, because you may not, you can say, you know, I printed this out. It's a fact sheet. So I, you know, I know you probably already have it, but just in case, I think it's really important because I, I notice that the medications need to be much higher and right. a psychiatrist will be humble enough to say, Oh, okay. Let me quietly do some research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. No, that's such a important point about educating yourselves and being your child's own advocate. And I went through that with my older son with sensory processing I had never heard of that. I had no idea what that was. And when it was flagged for him, when he was, you know, in his infancy, actually, I'm like, okay, this is my mission. I have to learn every single, you know, I need to learn about this and figure this out. Now, in hindsight, I see how my OCD played into my like over learning about it. So I definitely went to an extreme. And so, you know, People just worked out. To do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Your, I know. I did. I did learn a lot. Totally, totally. But it's it. You know, OCD aside, it is so empowering to take matters into your own hands as a parent and to educate yourself and learn as much as you can, so that you know you can go to your pediatrician and say, okay, this is what's going on with my child, and this is what I have learned. You know, and bring in some of your own information in case the therapist or the pediatrician or the professional you're seeing is not fully trained or um, doesn't fully understand in this case, what OCD is. It's so empowering as a parent to have that information and the information that you put out on your videos and your podcast is just so invaluable for parents. I am so grateful (laughs) to you and to, you know, have found your podcast and to have learned about this and been able to get myself and my son the help that we needed. And I feel so hopeful now. Like I feel, you know, OCD is a bummer to have, like, you know, like it's not a fun thing to have to live with, but I look at at Cruz now and I'm like, he's totally going to be fine. Like He's getting the tools that he needs in order to learn how to manage this. And there's a flip side to OCD that's not a bummer. You know, I mean, there's parts of it. There's parts of, I now see like so many parts of my personality. I'm like, oh, that's so funny. That's where I'm like, no, but I like that part of my personality. So advocating for your child and and getting them the right help they need sooner than later is going to set them up for success and enable them to 
kind of like harness their OCD into, I know you've used this language before, into a superpower and recognize that it does not have to be a debilitating thing you, you know, you suffer through for your whole life. You can learn how to manage it and to like harness it in a positive way. Yep. I I love that. It's a great way to end because I do feel like there's positive and it can be hopeful. You just need to know how to approach it and get the help so that your child can shine and sparkle in the way that they're meant to, which a lot of those attributes that our kids have that have anxiety and OCD make them creative, out of the box thinkers, you know, all those amazing qualities that tend to come with that are are the positive parts that we don't want to get rid of. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you guys are on the right track. Oh my gosh. Thank you. You've been such a great enormous resource for us. So I just cannot thank you enough. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for sharing your story. Yes. Anytime. Well, I hope you had some big ahas from that interview. I know that I did just talking to another mental health professional about the struggles was really eye-opening for me in just how, how backwards things still are, even at this point in the world of mental health. So if you are a mental health provider, I really do hope that this is a motivator for you to to read and research and learn more about OCD. And if you're a parent, please get educated yourself. There are plenty of websites. Go to the International OCD Foundation at iocdf.org, madeamillions.com. There are so many great websites out there. You can go to an ocdkidsmovie.com is a great one and educate yourself. I have online classes that parents can take. You can go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com and take my OCD class, learn about it yourself. Even if your child has anxiety, it's really good for you to learn about OCD. And I do have a free mini OCD class that anyone can take. So if your child has anxiety and you're like, let me just watch this, do that and get educated so that you have some knowledge because we cannot always depend on you know the professionals around us. There are amazing professionals out there. You just have to tap into the right ones. Okay, well, if you are enjoying the podcast, which I hope that you are finding it valuable, please don't forget to hit a star and rate it wherever you listen. And if you have a few extra seconds, if you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate it. It helps other parents know that there's some value in the show. And I always try to leave the show reading one of them if somebody's left one. So I wanna say thank you to Glenn. I'm not sure. Glenn is 2021. (laughs) She wrote, this podcast has been so helpful as a parent, just trying to help my child with OCD. And also as a mental health professional working with children and families, it has given me hope that life can improve when it feels like we're drowning. Well, thank you for leaving that all the way from Australia. I appreciate it. And maybe if you leave a review, I'll be reading yours next time. So don't forget to go and join the self-care series. And I hope to see you all over there. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 